Hey, it's Kristen. And uh, before we jump into this episode with Emma Arnold, who I met while doing shows in Colorado, who is phenomenal, uh, I wanted to announce a few things I've got coming up. Friday, June 10th, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm going to be headlining the Tarleton Theater. And it's the first time I'm headlining my hometown, which that's just, it seems wild that that was an oversight for so long, um, you know, nine years into this and headlining Green Bay the first time. So friends, family, come on out. <laughs> it's going to be a really fun show. Uh, I've got Alexandra Sarpalis hosting. Uh, she's from Chicago. She is one half of Mom Jeans, which was our long running show where we would Basically, uh, encourage our friends to put on wigs and be their weirdest family member. I remember Danny Gallegos came as your drunk aunt one time. That was probably my most favorite one ever. <laughs> There's a lot of good memories. Um, Alexandra is hilarious and a delight to work with. So naturally, going to bring her up for my birthday show and uh, Amy Sumter will also be joining us. She is part of the uh, Beastie Boys tribute band. She's crafty, also a hilarious Chicago comic. And then we got AJ Grill coming up from Milwaukee because AJ, man, I've known him almost the entirety of uh, doing comedy. We met in Iowa. It's all just one huge, big, happy memory feeling. So AJ, Amy, Alexandra, do I like A-Dames? I guess so. Uh, so that'll be a really fun show. Please come to that if you are in Northeast Wisconsin. And then the following week, I'm going to be in Chicago for real this time. COVID took me down last month, so I didn't get to come. Uh, but Wednesday, June 15th, comedians you should know. Thursday night, I'll be at Still Not Friday with Matt Drufke. Oh my God, I'm so excited to see him again. It's been so long. Uh, and then Friday night, Rad is back in Lakeview at Graham Cracker Comics. I'm so excited to do that show. Uh, going to be a real fun weekend. And then I'll be at Labor Notes, which is a trade unionist conference, which if you want to hang out there, hell yeah, I'll be there. And let's see. Oh, Babapalooza, June 26th, Sunday in Madison. That's going to be a really fun show. Uh, the High Noon Saloon, I believe. And then July, I take off because I'm a crabby old lady who likes her time alone. But back in August, and the first weekend of August, I'll be heading out to... Uh, Des Moines, Iowa to headline Teehees. Got two shows there. Then I'll be headed over to Lincoln, Nebraska. Nope, that's not right. Omaha, Nebraska. Zach Peterson's show, Broken Magic. That'll be super fun. And then circling back through Cedar Rapids, Iowa at Lucky Cat Comedy Club. They just opened up, so I'm excited to do a show there. And then that second weekend of August... I'm going to be featuring for John Cap... I'm making up words now. I'm going to be featuring for John Caparulo at the Fort Wayne Summit City Comedy Club. So, five shows. Um, super excited to meet his audience. Someone who's been on Blue Comedy and Chelsea Handler so many times. What does that Venn diagram look like? I don't know. I'm going to find out. I'm excited to. So, yeah, those are upcoming fun shows and things. And let's get into this episode.
Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm so excited tonight. We are joined by the fantastic comedian, Emma Arnold. Hey, Emma. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. And you know, for those of you not familiar, could you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm a comedian and writer and uh, I live in Idaho and I'm a mom and uh, an avid horror movie fan. And I've actually, people have been recommending that I come on this podcast for since like 2017, I think. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing to have you. Uh, we met in Denver where we did a few shows together. And, um, you know, we talked about the podcast a little bit. And honestly, I was just so flattered that you'd even heard of it. I was like, oh my gosh, a famous person heard my podcast. <laughs> Um, super excited. So I was thrilled that you wanted to do it. And uh, Denver was super fun. And then uh, we got COVID together, which is yeah. a we're real COVID, We're COVID buddies. Um, I'm not sure exactly where we got it, but we got it pretty much um, at the same time, I think, or maybe like a day apart. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. You know, I texted I you like, oh my gosh, I have COVID. I'm so sorry. And you're like, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Although I feel like you had a way harder getting home story than I did. Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, got, I got the positive result, and then I was like, well, I can't get on a plane. So I rented a car for $500 and oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't, I don't think I could live with myself if I did fly. So be like, oh yeah. man, what if you yeah. killed someone's grandma and everyone's not wearing masks on planes anymore. And gosh, yeah, it was. I was lucky that Alex, he was supposed to only stay a couple of days, but then um, our, cause our kid was house sitting who's 19, but we weren't sure how it was going to go. And if he was going to, you know, be okay there, but he was fine. So Alex was like, I'll just stay the whole time. So luckily he was there and he drove me home 16 hours in oh, wow. one day because he was wow. like, he was like, I'm going to for sure get it probably tomorrow if you have it now. So mm -hmm. he drove me home. 16 hours and I was just like I slept most of the way honestly but um but it was funny because we were we took this kind of back route through northern Colorado and um Wyoming I don't actually know where we went to tell you the truth but it was pretty <laughs> small townsy and a few times um like when I went in place people were kind of doing that glare at you because you're wearing I um like when I went into pee somewhere I was like double masked and I was like ran in and ran out as fast as I could and people were kind of doing that glare at you for wearing a mask thing and I was like oh no I literally have COVID like right yeah. now like you I'm holding my breath in the bathroom hoping I don't like super spread in this small town where everybody is maskless anyway so yeah I but you had to drive yourself which was probably <laughs> miserable it was. <laughs> <laughs> But I figured, you know, I couldn't relax and sleep in a hotel bed knowing I had to get home. So yeah. luckily my boyfriend hooked me up with hotel rooms along the way. He would call and check in and be like, where are you? Where are you going to stop? And I was able to make it home in like a day and a half, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really long drive. Yeah. It was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Ah, uh, it's okay. You know, it's so funny. Denver just, you know, in my mind, I'm like, it's a progressive place. Everyone's vaccinated. So I let down so many safety protocols that I had been using and like 2020 me would have slapped me in the face, like going yeah. out going out sharing pancakes like what are you doing <laughs> I was at one of the shows we were on afterward we were talking to somebody and um right when we were like leaving I was like ah, I'm just gonna put my mask on just in case even though nobody else seems to be doing it 
And I was like, because there was the theater was empty. There was only like four or five people in the back still talking. And I was like, I'm just going to do it just in case. And then when I was talking to somebody, they were like, oh, yeah, I just got COVID at Moon Tower. And I was like, <gasps> kind of doing the math like, oh, that was one, two, three, four, five days ago. And they were like, oh, I mean, the, the CDC says five days. And I was kind of like, no, they oh, don't. <laughs> I, bye. Good to see you. Bye. You know, like I just like ran out the back. I was like, oh, gosh. OK, cool, cool, cool. So, yeah. Um, I don't know where exactly we got it, but it doesn't, you know, it's one of those like, uh, cause I was supposed to do it at that festival afterward. Oh, and I, I tested an hour before showtime because on the drive down there, I was like, man, my nose is so stuffy and it's not clearing up. And this is the third time I've had COVID too. So I was kind of like, I, I knew like I could just feel it. I was like, this is COVID. So I tested, but I still was in my head kind of like, it's probably not, you're probably just being paranoid cause you're in a big city. So I tested just to be safe and polite, really, honestly. And then it was positive and I was like, oh no. So yeah, that was such a bummer. But, um, and there was one other person um, who we had been hanging out with. So I texted them and was like, hey, I just tested positive. And he was at the festival. So he was like, well, I'm going home. I'm not, I'm not messing with it. I'm already feeling a little sick. So, but then yeah. I heard later a few other people at the festival got it anyway. So it was like, well, makes sense. I mean. If one of if one comedian in Denver has it, probably we all are getting it. Oh yeah, it's insidious. It just yeah spreads so quickly. Yeah. But now we'll all have monkeypox, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Something more horrible looks like maybe. So yeah, great, great. Yeah, fun times. Uh, but yeah, definitely. You know, having it while vaccinated was way easier than when I had it unvaccinated. So I'm not, I'm not in that three time club yet. But yeah, getting there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm really excited that you could do the podcast. And just to kick off uh, the questions, I'm curious, and I kind of know a little bit. Uh, what is your relationship to horror movies, and how do you feel about the genre overall? Well, so I was super, super sheltered as a child. Um, my parents were hippies and um, we weren't allowed to watch anything with violence. And in fact, my mom and my aunts who lived with us growing up, like my aunt walked out of Finding Nemo uh, because it was too upsetting in the beginning. She was like, nope, this isn't for me. Um, and my mom wasn't as strict as she was, but um, my mom hates anything with any kind of violence or any kind of scariness. And, you know, it's because my family, they all have severe anxiety. And so that stuff really sticks with them. So as a kid, I think the most, I'm, my mom turned off Indiana Jones, I remember. Um, the first one, I think, I think that's the one with, is that the one with the grail? Yeah, she turned off the one with the holy grail. Well before the face mel melting, like way before that, where she was like, guns and knives, no, nope, absolutely not. So we weren't allowed to watch like anything. And my first horror movie I ever saw um, as a child was staying the night at a friend's house and in sixth grade, I saw the movie Shocker, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It's about a man who was killed in the electric chair who comes back to kill everybody. And I remember <laughs> hiding under the blankets, like with my friends and everybody screaming and just being really like, oh, kind of this is it for me. And after that, I started to secretly at friends' houses, like voraciously, like the next thing I watched was The Shining which I watched on my best friend's lap, crying the whole time. Um, it scared me so bad. It still scares me as an adult. The last time I watched it as an adult, I was like, this holds up, it's still very scary. Um, but I, I sort of fell in love like back when I was like a teenager with it. And I really like to be scared and I'm an easy scare. 
Um, my kids love to watch like ghost movies with me because I will hide my eyes for like, I like to watch horror movies a few times because the first time I will hide my eyes for about 70% of it if it's a good scary movie. The next time it's like 50% and every time I'll be like, I'm a little more ready to watch this. But um, yeah, I just really, I adore horror movies and um, uh, as an adult, I think that's, you know, probably my favorite genre. I watch the most horror movies probably of every kind of movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's such a great um, device for metaphor and can be used to talk about so much. Yeah. And I even like a bad, like, I love to watch a bad horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I mean, I like to watch a bad movie in general, just because I love to see like what went wrong in a thing. And I love to kind of <laughs> sit and be like, what happened? Was it the editing, the directing, the writing? Where did it go? But like, I love a terrible horror movie um, because like, I mean, they're so, so differently terrible than a regular movie. Like you have, because everybody has to be all in on a horror movie, right? Everybody has to be like, there's a monster. We're terrified. And, um, and if, and if one person is like kind of phoning it in, I just, you know, it ruins the whole, the whole thing. So I just, I, I watch like any horror movie, like my kids and I watch all the Ouija movies. Those are not good movies, but I still kind of love to watch them just because they're, I don't know. They're just corny and silly. And I really even like the bad ones. I love that um, analysis so much because I do feel like horror movies are kind of akin to my organizing model as well. And like the idea of like in a horror movie, you got to all work together. If you don't work together, you'll die. I mean, granted, we won't die on the campaigns I work on. (laughs) You know, there's that idea of like, we got to be all in together. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's such a great, I don't know if there's another genre that's as good at like you know, after Babadook came out, I was insufferable because I was like, it's a metaphor for child abuse and addiction. Well, she was, and like, I wanted to talk about it nonstop. And people were like, yeah, we get it. We got it. And other people were just like, no, it's just a movie where there's like a, or people who were like, I didn't like it. I was like, did you watch it with an eye for what it's like to be a single mother who's struggling to control her temper with a disabled child? Like I, I just was so insufferable because I, I loved it so much. And I thought that it was so deep and dark and and about like, you know, pain on a different level, which like all of like every genre in the horror genre kind of does that for a different group of people, I think. And I like that too, you know? Yeah. I love to, in this um, time period of horror, we're really focusing on the interpersonal and the familial relationships as a source of horror, which is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that's why The Shining was a favorite of mine. Um, so familial and it was so, you know, there's really like, yes, the house is haunted, but like when it, for me, it's like what it comes down to in a lot of ways is that terrifying father figure, uh, which Jack Nicholson is, you know, the role of his life is so terrifying in that role. And so I, yeah, I agree. I really like that we're, that's where we're visiting. And those are the scripts like I'm, I'm writing too right now is I really the stuff I've been writing is very like familial horror and even kind of, uh, I really like that we've been getting deeper into the horror of being a woman Mm -hmm. a lot lately. Like, I don't know if you, I adored Midsummer, Mm -hmm. and, um, that was another one afterward. I was like, it's an allegory for the pain of women. And even the writer was like, Oh no, I didn't actually mean to do that. It was about a breakup. (laughs) And I was like, well, (laughs) it is (laughs) well for me. It was all about women helping each other through pain. And I think that's really cool that somebody could write something they didn't even mean to, you know, that ended up so much more layered than they even meant it to be. Oh, definitely. That I recently saw Men. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. No, I haven't seen it. 
Oh, there's a tremendous scene at the end that is just remarkable. And the director has pretty much said, yeah, I just wanted to make that scene. Take it for every what you want it to be. (laughs) Yeah, I I wondered I wondered what you thought about it. I don't know if I'll see it because so many of the reviews were like it's a bunch of men like women were not literally not involved in any aspect, like not the editing, not the writing, not the directing, not the sound design, not set design, like no women. And um, somebody was like somebody I, I mean, I haven't seen it. You have. So maybe you can clarify. They were like, it just seems like men sort of fantasizing over the pain of women and like writing it in this way that they perceive it and that they would react to it but it's for men um which i which you know maybe is a good thing at the end of the day yeah i mean i would i would agree with that summation because it did have this like relentless feeling of stress to it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the things I read about it were like, if you were an abuse uh, survivor in any way, I would skip men. And I usually don't skip a lot of things for that. But the description of it, I was like, oh, that one I might I might miss, actually. Yeah, I could see that. I, I tried to chat with my friend about it as we were leaving. And she was just like, I don't even want to talk about it. Here, <laughs> here. Yeah. yeah, one of those. Yeah, I mean, I've had a few movies over the years do that to me where I'm like, I just I can't I can't talk about it. I'm not ready to, you know, it was just like too, too much or too intense. Um, But I reading the description of that, I was like, I feel like that'll be one of them, especially because it was like made by men. And I don't know. But also something I read was that it was like created a really good sense of dread that maybe men could actually relate to and feel like what it was like to be a woman while they're watching the movie. So I don't know, did it accomplish that, do you think, for men? Well, there was a man in the theater while I was watching, and there was a a scene where you see a naked man, and the first thought is, as a woman, you're terrified, and a man in front of me laughed, so no? (laughs) No, so no, yeah. Yeah. Nice try, guys, but. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, maybe, best case scenario, we can hope for that. Uh. <laughs> um, you know, the other feeling that I, I don't quite not to know what to do sometimes with horror movies is immense sadness. And I feel like the movie you picked had moments of that. Yeah. Um, so for us to talk about tonight, Emma chose Mandy, which is a film starring Nicolas Cage. And he plays um, the victim of a home invasion by a weirdo hippie cult that murder Mandy. So Red, his character, goes on a uh, revenge spree to avenge Mandy and um, kind of does some drugs along the way. And that's just a brief synopsis. But... <laughs> yeah, so- I I felt bad after I picked it because I was like, okay, I obviously want to watch it before we talk. And yesterday I tried, I started it and then I was like, you know, because we just had that the school shooting and things have been, I don't, I've been consuming way too much media about it and reading everything and watching everything. And I was like, Oh, I, Mandy is the worst thing to have to watch right now because it is so heavy and so sad. And I watched it um, this afternoon actually instead. And I was kind of like, Oh, this is hard to watch right now because I'm just like mental health wise. I was like, I'm really, I really should have picked like uh tremors or something where we were both like, <laughs> A lark you know what a good time how silly those guys you know but instead i picked something like deep and sad but also kind of perfect for the moment in a way because it's about i i i thought about what you said about why did, what why would this movie resonate with you and i was like it's a movie about cruelty for cruelty's sake and in a weird way i feel like it kind of like 
tied in for me a lot of we're, what the things we're talking about this week and and the heartbreak and the watching you know ted cruz be like oh my god who cares i don't uh, i'm whatever you know like i was just yeah. like yeah it almost kind of felt a little cathartic but it, i was like i'm sorry i'm sorry i picked mandy <laughs> oh no don't apologize it's a great pick it was kind of funny while i was watching it a work email popped up that was like June is mental health month. Prioritize your mental health. <laughs> Thanks, email. Yeah. You're like, okay, I'll watch Mandy. <laughs> and then spiral. Yeah. So was there anything else that led you to pick Mandy? Yeah. So um, it's not just one of my favorite horror movies. It really is one of my favorite movies. I'd say it's in my top five favorite movies of all time. And this was probably the fifth time, sixth time maybe even I've seen it. Um, I've seen it sober. I've seen it not, you know, on some, uh, some other things. And, um, I really, I really, I've thought about a lot about like, why does this connect for me? Like what, what about this movie? And I think like, um, I really think, cause I hate a revenge movie. I really, other than blue ruin, which is a movie I really, really love by the maker of green room, which is another movie I love so much, but, um, I I usually hate a revenge flick because I feel like they're just male fantasy bullshit. Um, like John Wick, I really like because it's like over a dog. And so it's kind of ridiculous, you know, I and it's seen that, but now I want to. Oh, OK. All the John Wicks are very fun and I highly recommend them. They're just violent. Keanu Reeves is adorable. They're just fun. But I usually hate a revenge flick because it is it's very male you know like kind of typically like what would you i think and even the ones that are made like with women in mind where it's like what if you were raped and you would cut that guy into pieces and blah 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 and i'm like oh no i would just like continue to work with him for years and uh be devastated devastated every time i saw someone praise him you know what i mean it's uh -huh. like uh -huh. like the way men think that you like that they would deal with tragedy is so often violent and sort of self-serving and makes them the hero of the story instead of what you usually do with tragedy is like kind of swallow it and continue your life and and um try not to let it wreck you with resentment so i usually i never i can't think of another other than blue ruin another revenge flick that i like but this i think a couple of things um i grew up with a uh narcissistic megalomaniac father who has remarkable similarities to the cult leader in a lot of ways. Oh. And I grew up deep in the woods, um, super isolated around a bunch of like wacky people doing a lot of drugs and a lot of hallucinogenics. And um, I also, I was a gothy uh, metal kind of uh, fantasy novel devouring kid. And like every, everything about that movie is a fantasy novel in fact watching it this time i was like oh my god this movie is a D, &D campaign mm -hmm. that's why i love it so much is it really like from the font you know it and the scene changes the font that they use to like the backgrounds that they throw up i also i love a movie that does not lean away from doing whatever the fuck it wants I love a movie that just does what like doesn't try to explain it doesn't qualify it is just like yeah uh we're we're doing weird shit with faces we're you know blurring in uh, you know I just I love so many of the things they do in Mandy for visual effect and I think they do it so well with storytelling 
And, um, and I just think it's beautiful too. I think, oh my God. And the music, I listen to the soundtrack all the time. Johan Johansson is one of my favorite composers and the music connects to me so deeply and it creates so much of a mood through the whole thing. So yeah, I, I just, I think probably because I grew up, you know, in the woods around a bunch of people on LSD, uh, and on a lot of drugs and, um, and around a lot of really cruel people who I, I think, you know, a lot of what we're seeing politically or I don't know, culturally right now is so shocking to regular nice people because they're like, and they keep, people keep trying to shame people like Ted Cruz uh, or Trump or whoever. And they're always like, tr they're always sort of like being like, that's cruel. And you're like, no, they're sadists. And yeah. I think that there are people who have just lived like really lovely lives out there, just normal lives who don't know that sadists exist, that there are people who love to cause pain. And this movie does such a good job of showing just this like group of sadists um, who, who also think that they have like a mandate from God to be cruel and that the world is theirs for the taking and that there's nothing they could do that would be too far. Um, so yeah, I guess that bad childhood is the short answer <laughs> to that. Yeah. If I would have just tuned in to listen to that description, I would think you're talking about the Republican party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is, I think maybe that's part of the reason, like, I, I was like, wow, this actually is sort of appropriate to watch right now because, um, there's a scene where the cult leader is, um, he's telling Mandy, um, you know, God told me to take whatever I want, that the whole world is mine. And, um, and then later after she laughs at him, um, and then he's like crying in the mirror and he's like falling apart and he's like, God, help me, God, help me, tell me what to do. And then you see him like go through a personality shift. And then as God, he tells himself, never doubt yourself again. And I thought that that really is these everybody's sort of trying to appeal to the humanity of people who think that cruelty is part of what makes you human is is like a god-given director directive to punish the people who cross you um yeah and i was like wow this, this does feel weirdly timely right now to be watching yeah, yeah i i really like how you hit that on the head about sadists, because I've worked so many campaigns where people want to appeal to the oppressor's sense of moral decency. And it's mm -hmm. like, they don't care. They make money off not caring. So like, unless you can affect a pocketbook, there's no real plan of change there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like you're almost uniquely, you're like, you know exactly what I'm talking about because of that. Like you've experienced that repeatedly where people people are by and large, very like very kind and empathetic. And so they just assume that like leaders are gonna be that way too. And like that you could, that you could shame someone into caring or even that, that you could like show them enough suffering that they would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that our healthcare package was making it so that you were dying of lupus. <laughs> we'll fix that right away. Instead, they're just like, yeah, die of lupus, fucker. Like they, yeah, we're done making money off you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. So, 
when I went to college, I actually had the reverse. It was really sweet, actually, when I graduated and I was all like, I'm going to be a union organizer and uh, just, you know, didn't realize that people are in power for a reason. They like being in power and they're going to stay there. And it's not going to be some like doe-eyed young kid like, hey, did you know you're being oppressed? Let's organize. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. To like me being dragged out of workplaces by police. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have always felt like I have, because of my childhood, this sort of unique, weird, almost like superpower where everybody around me is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're being terrible. And I'm like, yeah, um, people are terrible. There are some really terrible things that will, people will do just for fun for, in the name of, like, I don't, like Ted Cruz Day watching those interviews with him, I was like, he fucking loves this. Tell me that guy doesn't just get off, like his kink isn't, withholding from poor people you know like like watching a hispanics um part of their state be harmed and heartbroken and he's grinning like a goon you know Mm -hmm. in every interview he's just like well you know what are thoughts and prayers what are you gonna do and i was like man there's a people want to believe that those people who get into power do it for the reasons like you became a union organizer that they're driven and they care and like maybe one in a thousand that's true of but but by the time you get the money, that's gone. <laughs> that's that's bread out of you. So yeah. yeah, it's I have a few friends that work in local government, and you know the right wing trolls here are so indoctrinated into their rhetoric that they'll like show up online to defend school shootings, and it's like this is yeah. where we're at. This is disgusting. Like I think <laughs> yeah. we can all agree that that's the baseline, right? Children shouldn't die at school. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, the stuff I've seen people saying today uh you're like oh i thought we had like a baseline of decency that we were all kind of like i mean obviously we don't like want kids to die at school people are like if that's the price of freedom you know yeah Uh, i saw this great tweet the other day that was like saying republicans are just gonna say that's it we can't have schools anymore (laughs) and then they did i mean especially here locally um our local government is really off the walls and um, they immediately were like, this is why we're calling for homeschool. This is why we're blah, 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 blah. You can't fund. And they were also like, this is all because women are working from the home. I mean, oh my God. I know you think like, I was like, wow, you really did it. You really like brought it back to it being women's fault. Uh, it's yeah. always, a, it's always some mom somewhere's fault. So boy, Honestly, you did it. I saw the one door conversation starting up and I was just like, you know, as someone who's worked extensively in health and safety, I'm like, I'm out. I can't watch <laughs> yeah. this anymore. This is the stupidest shit I, I ever heard. Go for a walk. Yeah. yeah. Glad it, glad it escalated. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to Mandy. <laughs> um, I did love the evil bikers in this film. I thought they were fantastic. It was like the Cenobites got motorcycles, which yeah, cool. I love I love that because it adds this like layer of supernatural to the whole thing that is so over the top and um, spectacular, like in the fight scenes when he's killing them all in kind of a unique way. And it and I, I love the lore of it. Honestly, the LSD like 70s, you know, I, I we kind of came up in a time like 
where like LSD was kind of falling out of fashion. And that was in large part because of the like war on drugs and then like all the propaganda was like, you do it once and you'll never be sane again. And mm -hmm. like, there's all this like fear mongering around LSD, which is a serious drug. I'm not saying people should just like run out and find some and do it. Um, but like, I, I do love, I love LSD lore. Like I just, I love the, you know, they did so much of it that it changed them forever. I love the chemist who mm -hmm. is like basically like connected to cellular, I mean, they're pre-cellular towers, so I'm not exactly sure what they are, but radio towers essentially. And like, he can like, he can read minds and sense where the cult is and stuff. And I, I just loved, I thought that they nailed all of that like weird LSD propaganda and kind of like mythology so well. And I love that they like, they drank such a, so much of a bad batch that they became like, they fell in love with pain, you know, um, their own, their own and other people's. Cause I don't know. I just think that whole, that whole sequence right there is beautifully shot, brutal. It's like, I don't, I'm not usually a gore person or a slasher, slasher pick person, but the gore in that movie is so perfect. It's all so unique and like horrific. And I love it. I love the bikers so much. Mm -hmm. I, I do feel like it's the perfect blending of nostalgia in bringing up the war on drugs and also the satanic panic of. Yes. Movies, yes. You know? I love, and I, that I was so super interested in the occult and Satanism as a child from growing up in Idaho and, you know, all these, you know, I mean, I had friends who were like, weren't allowed to come to my house because they knew that my, I had an Ouija board, their parents knew, or that they knew we played D and D. So they weren't allowed to come to my house because that was devil worship. And so I grew up sort of fascinated by the occult and Satanism. And it's such a perfect, like that end scene when the church is on fire and the fire's coming out of the cross cutout. And it's, it's kind of like we were saying, like the whole thing is sort of based around this idea that like these two, you know, hippie kind of atheist, like metal kids are living this like really decent existence that harms no one. Where, whereas these Jesus freaks are the most entitled, terrible sadists. And uh, I, I love everything from the fact she's wearing like a pentagram shirt and she's reading like fantasy novels and stuff. I just love it. Yeah. You know, it's funny that we're talking about that. I had a very similar childhood in that, like, I always wore my favorite Black Sabbath t-shirt with the angel with the wings on fire. Yes. <laughs> and I remember going to my best friend's house and her mom was an evangelical Christian and just absolutely appalled that I would wear that shirt. And I was just like, what is Sabbath? Like that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like she banned me from the house. But then like a few years later, she kicked out my best friend from the home. And so that she had to live in my closet essentially as like 14 year olds, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, a, what a good Christian mom. Oh, know? exactly. Yeah. Like, um, my, my friend's mom who, um, I wasn't allowed to go to their, like one day they were like, you're not Mormon. So you can't come over anymore. Um, oh, wow. if you want to start coming to church with us, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, her, turns out her dad molested everybody, but me because I wasn't oh, allowed to go over there. So it's like, yeah, like those people fucking suck. And you know, my, uh, like my satanic, I mean, as teenagers, you're like, I'm a Satanist. You weren't, you didn't know what you're doing. You would lit some candles. You drew a pentagram on your floor. Black but, yeah. You had a black t-shirt. I mean, cause I would like, I hung out with a lot of the gothy kids and even later after I stopped being goth, I, I was just like a secret goth, an at home goth. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and still I'm fairly gothy to this day, but I just loved it. I just thought like all that was so 
it's also subtle, you know, like it's man, he's not a subtle movie, but at the same time, the way that they put in a lot of that imagery and very quietly just sort of showed that like, you know, she draws, she draws nudes. She essentially draws like fantasy nudes. And of course that would have been like so shocking in the eighties for her to be doing mm-hmm. that. And yeah, I, I really loved all the satanic panic stuff is so fun. Yeah, definitely. There, there's a scene where Marlene can um, is trying to like be cool with Mandy and says, oh, that's a cool T-shirt. And yeah. it makes me laugh because sometimes when I have to go into schools for work, I'll see like little kids wearing punk rock shirts and I'm always like, cool shirt. And they're probably like, who's that old lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of my friends, uh, my kid's friends was wearing a Green Day shirt and I was like, Oh, Green Day, huh? And he was like, yeah, I like oldies music. And I was like, oh, I, oh do you? I see. Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. You know, so. Oh, I need a minute to recover from that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, what themes jumped out at you and Mandy? Well, I think part, maybe part of the reason I love it so much, too, is it's such a beautiful love story. Um, and I love a romantic film. You know, if I was if I wasn't reading fantasy, I was rereading Jane Austen. And I love um, a romantic movie and a romantic book. And I think like in the beginning, they do such a beautiful moving job. You know, usually if they're going to kill off the wife to make a revenge movie, they show her working for other people. Oh, she's such a good mom. Oh, she's such a good wife. You know, she's cooking dinner. She's doing this. Mandy is drawing her own stuff. And later she's talking to him about um, a book she read and how much she loves the planet Jupiter. And later they're like eating dinner in front of the TV together. And she's like super interested in whatever like sci-fi show they're watching. And they do. And through the whole thing, he's constantly looking at her in these like just like he just worships her. He just adores her. He's when he sees her art and he's looking at her, he's like just in awe of her. And I think I think it kind of really is a love story. Um, in, and, and I think also they spend 35 minutes before they kill her, which in usually in a revenge story, it's like, all right, you've had five minutes with the uh, the lady in the story and now she's gone, you know, Di- let's Disney mom that shit, come on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that they spend so much time on her. And then I felt like the other themes are really like, um, sort of the exploration of sadism and um i don't know i guess some of some piece of me thinks it's a little bit um i mean i mean obviously like the exploration of like the religious right uh versus sort of like the lsd op i grew up with these like you know quote unquote open-minded hippies you know who really weren't like good people um weren't any better like mountain hippies who were just like now they're just rednecks. Now they're evangelicals because they quit drugs and then they got sober and found Jesus. And now they're evangelicals, not all of them, but a, quite a few. So I thought that was kind of it too, that, that exploration of drugs and like what drugs do to you and, and um, vulnerability. I think vulnerability is a huge piece of it. Um, Mandy in the beginning talks about, she tells a story about her father killing, making her friends kill starlings. And I feel like they put that story in to show that Mandy, she has scars on her face also. They're never explained, but you kind of get the idea that it might be related to her childhood. And I thought that, I think one of the most beautiful themes in it for me is this preservation of this beautiful, gentle person um, who has just obviously come through hell 
and is now with this like man who is very kind and gentle and loving with her and she is able to just be her softest version of herself and um you know unfortunately gets killed but at the end the young woman who um is part of the cult he doesn't kill her and you can see that she she like gets away and i thought that that was kind of representing like the preservation of vulnerability i was curious what your take in what your take is on that because she was complicit in the Mm -hmm. murder of mandy so why do you think red let her go i I always felt like she is actually an innocent. I mean, they dress her and she looks very young. I mean, she's a teenager, I think, probably. And she clearly, you know, she's being raped or at the very least, you know, physically having sex, coercive sex with someone that she cannot say no to. And she, I I, I felt like they sort of do a good job showing that though she's complicit, she's sort of an innocent still. Like I saw her as a victim more than um, the older woman who really loves the the prophet. Like we don't, the young woman, you never hear her profess any love for him. There may be somebody she's, I always kind of got the vibe like she was kidnapped and she's stuck and she's just kind of going along with things. She's also being constantly doped. Uh, with hallucinogens and being told that she's with God. And to me, she just seemed like some poor kid who got stuck in the cult and that Red could see that. Number one, when she holds the gun to her head and she shoots herself because the cult leader tells her to and she starts crying and she's relieved. um, I think that's when Red is like, okay, this person is not in this cult on purpose. She's she's terrified, you know? You can Mm -hmm. see her fear through the whole thing. She's not... um, She's not gung-ho all in. Mm-hmm. I did write down the line of, uh, oh, my God, they kidnapped me and made me do drugs because uh, I feel like that might have been a story I told as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, everybody was doing it and I couldn't leave unless I did it. It sounds like something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I also, I love how Mandy combines a lot of things I love in horror movies, like cults, home invasions, and metal. That's just, it's fun. It's it's like all my favorite things. It's like fantasy novels, cults, LSD, satanic panic. It's it's like everything I love. Really uh, unique and gory death scenes, but that aren't just like gory for gore's sake, but, and also Nick Cage. And I feel like this is the movie that brought Nick Cage back into people's hearts. Everybody was kind of, you know, he was a little bit of a joke before this. And then I never stopped loving Nick Cage. I always, because of raising Arizona, I always believed in him. And I always felt like he was going to come back around. And he acts the fuck out of this movie. He is so good in this movie. Even on a rewatch, I was like, well, we'll see. Because sometimes I'll watch a movie. And then later when I watch it, like years later, I'll be like, oh, okay. Well, I was just wrapped up in the moment. But he really is great in this movie. And I love about him that you can tell, like, Whatever a director tells Nick Cage to do, Nick Cage is doing it all in. Like you said, he's 100% all in. He gives every bit and it just comes out so spectacular. Um, I just love him as Red. I think he's so dedicated to the part. And And with such limited dialogue. Yeah, it's such a visual movie. It's so, they do so much visual storytelling and Nick Cage is really good at it, which I think surprised a lot of people. And uh, I really, I mean, that's where the Nick Cage renaissance came from. Because I think we all saw Mandy and we were like, what the fuck? Wow, he really can, he can do a lot up there. So yeah, Um, 
And I, I must admit the stoic lumberjack look is a uh, very much my favorite look. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I love, um, again, maybe cause that's kind of how I, I was surprised that it was, um, filmed in Belgium. Cause I thought it was maybe like, oh. BC, yeah, I thought it was like British Columbia or Oregon. Cause I, yeah, it's I supposed Northwest for sure. It's supposed to be Oregon and it feels very, very Northwest. And so it feels like a lot of like places that I lived as a kid, um, you know, very up in the woods and stuff. And I, I really love like the isolation of that. And, you know, they show him helicoptering in to do logging and, and like, even I usually hate, I I usually hate smoking in a movie, partly because I know they pay, you know, a lot of money to get smoking into a movie so that people are like, cool, mm-hmm. I'm going to get cancer. <laughs> but I did enjoy, uh, no, man, Nick Cage, every scene where he's just like smoking a cigarette and flicking it and just, he does blue collar well, you know, mm-hmm. he does, he does it the whole thing is very a very blue collar movie i felt like so i also wonder if there was a statement about that maybe redhead before meeting mandy been an addict oh for kind? sure because like i mean the vodka the vodka in the bathroom was like mm-hmm. what's that about he um, says no to a beer in the beginning when they're on the helicopter and i was like well that's obviously they're letting you know he's sober now you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And then the vodka in the bathroom for sure. And then the way he does that Coke off of the broken glass, I'm like, that's not a first timer. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is an an incredible amount of Coke to do in one go. And I also just, that's a perfect, that's a perfect scene when he, he does the Coke and then he turns around and the shot is of him in this destroyed kitchen and he's got blood all over him. And then his nose is all coked out and his eyes are super wide and it's just, it's just stunning. Like it's such a cool looking movie. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it does feel like the classic tale. Yeah, I, it's like it's formulaic in some ways. And like I said, I usually hate a revenge movie specifically partly for that because they're kind of boring. It's like, OK, this guy goes and he just kills everybody who wronged him. But they are able to do so much with it. And it's so unique throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing that uh i yeah feel like an lsd drenched witch trial as well like yeah mandy is the strong independent artistic woman and i love that scene we were discussing earlier where jeremiah is like so full of himself and he's like do you like the carpenters like ah this is my hell that would be my hell Mm -hmm. and then when she laughs at him um i i feel like that is such a powerful moment because so and they show frontal which i love when a movie shows penis instead Mm -hmm. of tits i just think it's so great to see penis in a movie and i love that he's naked he's standing in front of her he's bragging about his music and his connection to god and blah 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 and then she's like this is your music this is about you you wrote this and he's like yeah and then she just like starts laughing so hard and even that i felt like is is really a powerful moment and and like you said and then when they burn her um the one character says the darkest horrors burn the brightest and over and over they keep the other characters um, from the cult keep calling her a whore and we have no i mean she's a married woman by all respects like we have no but the fact that she wouldn't fuck this one man makes her a whore you know like you said it's like it's like a witch trial in that way where it's like well they've burned her because she refused to like accept his authority, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
You know, honestly, it really took me back to being like a preteen, young teen in the punk scene and how like if a male musician showed attention to you, you were just supposed to be so enamored of that, you know, mm -hmm. like God forbid you create anything on your own. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a dark place to go back to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, I a lot of it is, um, you know, my like a lot of it, it it's surprising because a lot of movies like that are very triggering for me but for some reason mandy isn't and i think you know i don't know why exactly maybe it's the added layer of the visuals and the the lsd and um and all of that but for some reason it feels cathartic even though mandy dies and but it's like i revenge a film i guess is supposed to make you feel like don't worry he'll get him you know and usually mm -hmm. i'm like great thanks uh but Something about that. Yeah, I guess if Nick Cage is going to avenge my death, maybe I feel better about it for some reason. Yeah, I would. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the film definitely demonstrates the horrors of group thought. Are there any uh, other themes that jumped out at you? Um, I think, you know, they definitely the um, and the horrors of LSD, which obviously are uh, way over the top and um exacerbated and stuff but i i do think that the reason it was a scary drug um and is i guess is because it can be really altering for certain people like i did have friends who in you know i did a lot of lsd in junior high actually which definitely altered my brain and changed me as a person but i had friends who did it and like never came back you know like it maybe those people were already schizophrenic maybe they already had other mental illness and it just triggered it but like it can it's not like an unserious drug like when i have very frank conversations with my kids about drugs and i've been like listen smoke pot whatever you know because they're gonna do an experiment with things and i've been like if you smoke pot i'm not that concerned about it other than like not very much because it can alter your brain and but like um and like mushrooms just make sure you're in the woods and having a good time with people you love and know you know but lsc i've been like let's just wait on that wait until you're like ready to spend eight hours possibly meeting god you know because <laughs> i you know i can't we used to do a lot of lsd uh when i was a teenager and now i the the uh i have a joke about how like the safe space i would need to do lsd now like i would need like a like a clinical setting you know with a doctor on staff sitting next to me you know because it it was scary often and when i was a kid i would just kind of blow by that and be like whoa bad trip man and now i'm like no spending eight hours in your own personal hell uh it's pretty intense and as as a kid we just kind of would blow it off and now i'm like i don't think i could live through that again i don't think i could tolerate you know uh thinking i was melting uh <laughs> for eight hours so I think I think that is a theme of it is like the LSD can be pretty fucking scary and um and I think that you know to trust your gut I think is a theme in the very beginning red is like we should leave mm -hmm. and when Mandy sees the van she like I mean the music is such a big part of how you know these things are coming but you can mm -hmm. feel that the characters know these things are coming and over and over you can see them having these um, premonitions of like bad things to come and knowing that they should should like get out of that situation or hide or whatever and 
and not and i think like maybe maybe to the, some degree that's like part of the theme is like you should really trust your gut on people because if your gut is this person is a a cult leading megalomaniac well then then pay attention to that <laughs> you know yeah you're right because the packaging was like i'm a prophet and i'm blonde and attractive and charming and i'm a musician but like the actuality of that is like oh he's a terrifying cult leader yeah yeah with zero remorse and mm -hmm. um and human and shame so yeah uh i think those are probably and and like you said like there's a lot of there's a lot of christianity versus the occult in there and um it's pretty layered it's pretty layered i'm curious what do you think the phrase means you're a vicious snowflake oh my gosh you know what i never had caught that before and when i was watching it today i was like what an interesting end line, but it's totally true. And it is actually the perfect description of the cult leader who um, got rejected from the m music industry. And they were like, your music's crap. So he, he's like, that's fine. And he creates this entire different persona around his fragile ego um, where he's a God and everybody has to obey him and the world is his from the taking and um, someone laughing at him cr nearly crushes that and he has to murder that person for number one, not having wanting to have sex with them. Number two, laughing at his dick, you know, also, oh my gosh, I also had never noticed it before. So when she's laughing at his, his nakedness and his music, he starts trying very furiously to masturbate. Yeah, but he clearly can't get an erection and you're like he he kills her because he couldn't get an erection like i am a hundred percent sure that's what in the end like why he murders her is because he couldn't get an erection in front of his followers because otherwise he would have just raped her right and then murdered her but he couldn't or even maybe didn't wouldn't murder her just would have raped her and they would have left but uh because he couldn't get an erection and i think that's what that is is like in the end everything he is doing is built around bolstering his very fragile ego and uh vicious is the perfect way to describe him and snowflake i was like it's a fun you know taking back of the word when we've all been called snowflakes because we're like hey what if we didn't murder trans people you know and snowflake uh, snowflake snowflake <laughs> and then when you're like you suggest like the slightest change in behavior to people they're like sobbing in a corner so um yeah i thought it, i thought it was an interesting i hadn't noticed it before but i this time i was like oh funny how what an interesting word choice yeah because like if you take away his followers he's pretty useless you know yeah yeah he's just a failed musician with a bad record <laughs> i love the flip of it though that like the dude who was into shitty music like the carpenters was the villain not the yes. metalheads it was like yes. finally our moment I'm like yes. we are good people <laughs> yeah and and like that has been i mean that's not entirely true of the met of metal because obviously you have oh, like yeah. a far-right element and you have like a lot of neo-nazis and stuff but um i have been friends with and dated um quite a few metal musicians and really like the softest gentlest pickiest eaters on the planet you know <laughs> just like really really sweet gentle people who um like some friends of mine have this amazing they do like metal soundscapey stuff and they're called the sun in the mirror and um it they're two of the sweetest kindest people i know and they write this like they're both in a couple other bands and they they write some of the loudest music of anybody i know but they 
are so kind and sweet. And yeah, the guy who's like wrote a whole song with his name as the title about himself and how great yeah. he is. And it's Carpenter style music is the bad guy. I love that too. That's so great. Hell yeah. I know I'm currently uh, dating a metalhead. We've been dating two years and he is the sweetest boy I've ever dated. So Aww. they're sweet. They're sweet guys and, yeah. and gals and people there. I've never, I mean, I know people do have bad experiences, but like most of the metal uh, people I have known, you know, they just have a lot of, a lot of pain or a hard background a lot of times and they needed somewhere loud to put that. And mm-hmm. And you kind of get that sense from both Red and Mandy that like they had a lot of pain, but they had created this sanctuary, this spot where they could be like the gentlest versions of themselves and and be, just be so super safe. And um, and she like when she's like, no, this is our home. I I'm safe here. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's kind of that feels very metal to me is creating a safe place, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> I will say my favorite part was, you know, after Red murdered everybody and he's having his vision and he's remembering meeting Mandy at a show, maybe for the first time. And like, oh, that was my favorite part. It was so sweet and wholesome. Really great. And he's wearing the shirt that she gets murdered in and that later he takes back and puts on. He's wearing the 44 shirt. Um, And it is kind of like you said, like it's clearly the first time they've met. And he, she's like smiling at him, but you see like, he is already like madly in love with her. Like he is mm-hmm. locked onto her and he is, I love the way Nicholas Cage looks at her is like, he is astounded. He is astounded <laughs> by her, you know? And he, I think he, the way he's looking at her in that last scene is so romantic. And then they cut to him just like covered in blood in the oh, car, no. just sitting there. <laughs> I just love it. Just so incredible. I love, I mean, Mandy, obviously it's a sad movie because of, you know, she dies, but I love the way that it highlights the relationship of a man supporting a woman's creative endeavors. And, you know, he loves that she's a strong independent voice and someone who just really does her own thing. I feel like that doesn't always happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he gets home from work. She doesn't jump up to cook him dinner. You know, she's just like kisses him and then he's like, Whoa, what are you working on? That's rad. And then she's like, goes back to drawing. And that's such a sweet moment to me this to see that he, he likes her as is, you know, I also appreciate um, the actor that they chose for Mandy. I think she, she is very beautiful. um, But they kind of they goth her out so that Uh she's, she's kind of like rough, a little rough, you know, she's has these scars and her hair is kind of long and a little straggly. And, um, I really sort of, and she's very, very pale and she doesn't wear makeup through the whole thing. And I just sort of appreciate that, like, instead of showing like, oh, he was, he, he you know, he was in love with this, you know, 10, 10 bombshell, you know, just like tits to your nose and fucking makeup. And, and when you got home dinner on the table and that's what I was saying, like, usually they show like, oh, you should avenge this woman because she, she did so much for you or she did so much for the family or whatever. Instead, it's just like, no, he really loved her. He just loved her for her and all her, you know, skinny, pale, spidery gothness. (laughs) He just loved it. Oh, yeah. What was your favorite part of Mandy? Um, My favorite part is probably um, when he goes. Well, maybe in the I I really like in the beginning, the love story stuff. Um, I really I think that I really do love all of that. But uh. The part that kind of sticks with me the most is like when he goes to see the chemist. I just really, I, 
I love so so leading up to that scene he's driving through all these tunnels and we're following very closely and it's tight and it's like like very strange that he's going through all these tunnels and then he comes out on this big wooded area and then there is the chemist building which is under all these radio towers and then we go in and I just think that scene is filmed so interestingly and is so spooky and strange um i really like that and i also really like the chainsaw fight scene um so fun it's just really fun and when it happens you're like of course he's a logger there has to be a chainsaw fight scene in here um and that uh, the guy who he fights is gigantic and it's you know it's just very it felt very like van damme i don't know the whole very thing is masculine very uh, masculine a little family yeah. <laughs> and that's actually a good a good thing to point out is like the whole thing is a portrait in a way of like healthy masculinity versus toxic masculinity oh yeah you know i um i feel like red's masculinity is exactly what i love about men you know that like this gentleness this protectiveness kindness you know like and the other the cult leader is like the embodiment of everything i hate uh that that like toxic masculinity does of like ego driven you know self-serving cruel sadistic like i do not when i was a younger woman i was into bdsm and all that and i do not get anywhere near sadistic men anymore i stay real far from any man who's describes himself as like a daddy dom or a sadist i'm like i see i've seen everything i need to see here so <laughs> no, um, thank you. <laughs> i like a nice quiet gentle logger which is actually you know i married a wildland firefighter so oh, yeah. <laughs> there sure. you go i got myself a nice gentle <laughs> quiet logger basically you're lovely together thank you yeah he's a sweet sweet man and and you know and slow to anger but i have a feeling if somebody killed me in front of him that's the kind of snap he would have you know and i like that too like when oh my god also you know you know what scene actually maybe i forgot about that is maybe my favorite when he goes and he's like i'm here to get my stuff from the guy who lives in the trailer and you're like oh he's gonna have like a weapons cache and that motherfucker has a crossbow and i just love that he's like he has a crossbow and then what does he do he goes and he forges himself an axe like how much more D D fantasy novel could you get than well gotta go forge my own axe and how i convinced one of my kids didn't want to watch it my 16 year old was like sounds corny sounds corny and i was like he forges his own axe and he's like okay let's do this and then that my sons ended up loving the movie to death so that's such a fun scene too every everything about it is so fun it's just I love to watch a movie where you're like, man, they did everything they wanted to do and they just had a really good time. They were like, he's going to forge his own acts. And no, and they weren't like, would that be cheesy? Would that be corny? You know, because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of movies would like try to stick to a, I don't know. They would a, give him a bunch of guns. and They give him a bunch boring. of guns, which would be super boring. But a crossbow and an axe you made yourself is very romantic. I like it. I know. I love how the best heroes don't use guns like Buffy, you know, never, yeah. never had yeah. guns. Yep. Final thoughts on Mandy? Um, I don't know. No, I guess not. I feel like I pretty much covered. I mean, I, I love it. Uh, I also think you should watch Nicolas Cage in, uh, that other supernatural movie with the name purple in the title, which I'm spacing the name of. It comes oh, yes. With- it's on my list and it, uh, uh, I've also spaced it 
I can't remember the name of it, but um, it is really fun and really supernatural. And I, and I love that he did back to back kind of these very strange supernatural movies. So that's all is also, you should watch something, the color purple. I can't remember what it, no, it's not the color purple. Um, but I can't remember, (laughs) but other than that, no, I mean, it was, it was a delight to watch it again. It was a little heavier than I, um, wanted color out of space no purple in the title at all i don't know where i came up with i purple. feel like the promo is purple though because I yeah just it's it last night so <laughs> maybe the monster's purple i don't remember but color out of space that's what it is um it's so fun though but no i just uh i would just really recommend people watch mandy and uh and that i think you'll enjoy it hell yeah well it's been so awesome having you on and getting to gab about horror uh where can people find out more about what you're working on and specifically uh what projects you've got going on well um i mean they can always find all my comedy stuff everywhere um i have some albums and you can watch my special for free on youtube and all that but um i have been working on this project called the book of holy fuck uh it's slow going i only have uh, a couple episodes out and i'm working on the third right now it's slow going but Um, It's basically a horror storytelling podcast based on events from my actual life. And um, my hope is the plan is, as I am planning to um, do six to 12 of them, and then I would really like to make them into a series. So um, if somebody somebody wants to give me a bunch of money to do that, otherwise I'm going to figure out how to do it super on the cheap, but um, they'll be like... uh, a series where each one is a I would love to do each one as a movie they are truly wild and I had um a, a really wild childhood and life and I've had a lot of really horrible things happen to me and I'd been trying to write more of a like memoir storytelling podcast and as I was doing it I was like wow some of this stuff is really upsetting and really hard to get into and so I turned it into like horror stories instead and that's been a lot more uh interesting and fun and easy to do so check out that book of holy fuck it's really it's not fun i won't tell you it's fun but it's interesting and people seem to like it so yeah and um i'm also filming um i'm filming a secret project in june with jeff tate and um i'm doing a little mini tour with him um and i think this is crazy and i'm just gonna say it because i've been kind of saying it to privately to people but uh i think i'm just gonna say it here i think i'm quitting comedy um Ooh. i always threaten that and i'm al- I'm always like i'm done i'm done but like i really do think i might be quitting comedy i'm focusing more on writing and um producing films and stuff because i am done i think i may be done i enjoy comedy i love i've had such an amazing time doing it but i think i'm kind of ready to start doing some different projects and working on some other things so yeah i i started as a fiction writer when i was 18 and kind of got into comedy under duress and have decided like, well, maybe I'm, you might want to go back to writing. So we'll see. I don't know, but I think this summer is the last time I'm going to tour at least for this foreseeable future. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. Wow. That's where you can see me as I'm quitting comedy. I'm really good at promoing myself. <laughs> see me this summer or probably never again. <laughs> well, I, I'd be sad to see you leave comedy because you've got a fantastic voice and narrative and it's so important to see women out there doing it. But I also understand, you know, having the desire to follow a new passion. So I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Um, a new endeavor. I can't wait to watch the horror series. I'm already super excited for it. It's going to be <laughs> good. You. 
Um, yeah. And I just, I love what you're doing because I think taking those elements of your life that were perhaps dark and, and putting them out to the public for everyone to see gives people a sense of solidarity and not having to hide things that they went through because they can see someone like Emma Arnold had this experience too. And then it just becomes more normalized, you know? So I think it's really important. Thank you. Yeah. That's kind of, I think a lot of the things that have happened to me, um, are specifically female, like, you know, I know that those things also happen to trans men, but I'm using that kind of as a broad stroke right now. Um, like, and, and people don't care about women's pain. They just really don't fucking care about like birth or abortion or miscarriages or, um, you know, a sexual assault and stuff like that. And I, I thought like, rather than write these out as just like, because I feel like a lot of writing your own story, a lot of times feels like that appealing to cruelty or appealing to people who are cruel, you know, and you're, mm -hmm. you're like, I think for a lot of my early years as a comedian, I was constantly telling male comedians about how bad it was for female comedians. And like one day I was like, Oh my God, they do not give a fuck. Uh, yeah. Some of them actively want it to be bad. And the other ones do not give a fuck. And I sort of had that realization of like, Oh, uh, people really don't, they really don't care about your personal pain. Um, but maybe if I write the Babadook, it'll be like, it's an allegory. You know? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and it's also easier to write and a lot more fun that way. So, well, thank you. This has been so fun. This is what a yeah. fun podcast. I'm so glad I got to talk about Mandy finally. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have to have you back when you finish the series to talk about that. Um, yeah, that'd be really cool. Thank you so much for being on it. And that's been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Mm -hmm.